Welcome back to the Sustainable Stories podcast. Sustainable Stories is here to bring you the stories behind sustainability in our communities. From big to small, practical to theoretical, we're exploring the people and projects that are working to make our world a more sustainable, equitable, and healthy place to live. Welcome back to the Sustainable Stories podcast. I'm Jenna Inglot, your host for today's episode, and I'm very excited to have with me today Kent Earl, who I know because I really studied Kent's blog when Matt and I were building our own home in 2019. And so I'm really excited to talk to Kent today about his house build, um, which is also a very uh, sustainably built, very neat home just south of Saskatoon. So thank you, Kent, for being with me today. I'm excited to chat. Yeah, thanks for having me. So Kent, just to start us off, um, if you want to just tell our, our listeners a little bit about who you are and 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 where you're from. Sure. Yeah. So we, uh, my wife and I, Darcy, live south of Saskatoon on an acreage that we built in 2015. And uh, so I'm a physical therapist is my work, but uh, I've always been very interested in green building and sustainable living. And that's been kind of our focus for the last number of years and continues to be what we're striving towards. So that's uh, that's the short of it. Awesome. Yeah, thanks. Is that where you're coming coming to me from today? Are you in your your home south of Saskatoon? Well, I'm actually uh hiding out in our we have a little house in the city actually as well. So that's where I am right now. Um okay. and we can go into that more if you want, but uh that's that's where I'm, I'm tucked in right now. Nice. Cool. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Um, people that I've chatted with, um, and, and you, we have, uh, a, a shared similar experience here in terms of, um, you know, building a sustainable home and going through that process. Um, but can you talk a little bit about that, that process of, of building, um, a passive home or a sustainable home? Why did you choose to do that? Um, you know, was it, financial or environmental or was it a little bit of both and and what that process was like well so we had talked a lot about building uh, a sustainable house and trying to get sort of off the grid uh, to some degree um, we had a house in the city beforehand and it really gotten into gardening and trying to make our house more sustainable even though it was an older home uh, and it just really wasn't um, happening. So we talked about it for a number of years and really just kind of became a let's put our money where our mouth is and try to actually um, try to do it really. So we looked for a long time for an acreage and uh, we wanted to be um, near the water. Um, and uh, I mean, it really came down to um, just a desire to see if we could actually do it financially if we could make it as feasible as possible and uh and then also to kind of 
write about it and experience it and, and see how it went. I'd always wanted to build my own house. And so um, where we ended up buying an acreage, it worked out that we are somewhat forced into building green, maybe a little bit more than we would have had we had some more conveniences of the land because where we ended up finding a place didn't have any natural gas and it was very much um, restricted in what we could do there. So it made it even more uh, important to build as passive as possible out there. Yeah, that's interesting. Our our experience was very similar. We uh, are very far from a natural gas connection. Um, we were thinking about building sustainably beforehand anyways, but that definitely helped the the the, the financial case for, for making sure things were, were, you know, really well insulated and all of that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, that's, that's interesting that, you know, that it was similar for you. Some of it was coming from your own values and some of it was kind of motivated from where you ended up being located. So um, you, you talk about this a lot in your, in your blog, Kent, and I, I'm definitely going to, to link that in the, in the episode notes for people to take a look at, because I learned so much. I, I have to say, um, you know, thank you for the amount of time and energy and effort you put into writing because I tried so hard to a little bit mimic what you did. I thought, yeah, I'm going to write this blog and, you know, at least my family and friends can kind of keep up with what we're doing. And I don't know, by like month two, I was already two months behind. I just, it's amazing that you, you documented the process in such a detailed way. And it's, um, yeah. So anyways, I wanted to say thank you for that. Um, but also, yeah, can you can you talk a bit about, um, you know, why you chose to share it in the way that you did and and uh, yeah, what you were kind of hoping to achieve through through the blog? Well, honestly, it was because there was so little information at that point. Um, you know, we we started the process in 2014. And, I mean, that wasn't that long ago, really, but there was so little information that I could find myself uh, that it sort of became a, just an area where I wanted to put my resources so that um, I, uh, I kind of had some reference for myself and for some of the people working on our house. Um, but then it was also <laughs> somewhat therapeutic for me to bend and write about our experience. And, and I said to myself that if I ever decided to build again, that I have to read back through it, and if I still <laughs> still wanted to proceed, then then I guess uh, that was okay. But I also wanted to make it for some other people, so that I mean, a lot of the stuff I'd read was you know just explaining you know this is how you do X or Y, but not really explaining the challenges around that. So um, we ran into so many issues with. And I don't know if you did still at your time, but we ran into so many issues with people not understanding what we were doing or why builders in particular or tradespeople and having to sort of teach them from scratch. And uh, I mean, at times it was extremely frustrating. And uh, so I, I think so, some of my frustration was uh, vented on the, on the blog and hopefully in a somewhat entertaining way. Um, but I have, I mean, I, I, I still get responses, even though I, 
I mean, I really haven't updated it in a couple of years, but I still monitor it and I still get messages from people sort of, you know, being glad that somebody else had explained some of these things that there's just very limited information. Um, and I tried to be thorough in, you know, explaining why we kind of came to the, some of the decisions we made and how some might work for other areas, like why we built the walls we did and didn't do a different type of wall system or why we selected the windows or the heating system and, and all the different processes that went into the decision rather than just saying, this is what we did. And, you know, without kind of going into the details. So, and like I said, too, it's a reference for myself too, if we ever were to decide to go down that road again. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I know for me, well, for us, we, 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 we really appreciated that you guys had similarly looked at it as, um, well, I guess I should ask is, did you end up achieving like a passive house certification with your home? No. Um, so we've followed the passive house building standards, but I mean, I, and I wrote about this in the blog too, where I had some criticisms about it because I think, I mean, they're German based, even though originally they were from Saskatchewan and adapted to German climate. And yet there's still this um, standard that's based really on a German process, which I, I still don't think is really that feasible and cost effective in Canada and especially in Saskatchewan for multiple reasons. I mean, this week is a perfect example. There's, there's very few minus 50 days, I think in, uh, in Germany. So yeah. it just makes it <laughs> extremely hard and, I mean, you can get, and this is sort of the way we approached it is you can get 80% of the way there for 20% of the cost, but you know, the last 20% might be 80% of the cost. And I think that's pretty true. Um, especially now that there has been a couple of passive houses built in Saskatoon. And I mean, their price point is outrageous. I think for the average person, uh, to, to reach. So, that's the way I approached it is let's be as cost effective as possible. And that was sort of our goal is we wanted to be, we wanted to get the maximum benefit for the most reasonable cost. And uh, I mean, I think we, we did that pretty yeah. well. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to make sure I was remembering that right. But I, I think that was really where we had read that section of your blog because originally we went into it saying, you know, saying we were going to build a passive house. Um, and, and we didn't have contractors involved. Like we, we did it, uh, we did the build uh, entirely ourselves. So it was a little easier from, you know, we didn't have to teach necessarily, but we had to learn a lot. Um, and I think it was one, one part of your blog and I, I could be remembering this incorrectly, but you talked about, um, tapes and places where you used, um, you know, like a passive house, very expensive tape, and you use that tape maybe around the windows or around the doors. But then if it was a certain spot that regular tuck tape worked as well, then you chose to use things like that. Um, and we very much after reading that um, approached our build very similarly, it was about achieving as close as we possibly could to those standards within what was reasonable for our budget so okay i i, I yeah, no, wondered I if, if i was remembering that correctly so 
Yeah, that's right. That's exactly the way we did it too. Yeah. When you when you price out like sixty dollar tape versus three dollar <laughs> tape, it's uh, you want to make sure you're using it effectively. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so, and and so yeah, that that was one question that I had, and I think you've kind of you answered that for us a little bit, Kent. But was around um, you know selecting and working with contractors and what that process was like. Um, you obviously did did a ton of research, and and but I'm curious about that process. If you're you know, for someone else wanting to go into this or or wanting to do a self-build and, and having contractors involved who kind of have this in mind, um, you know, how difficult was that to do? And I don't know if you want to talk about at all who you worked with, but yeah, I'm curious about what that process was like. Like you said, you, you did have to do some, some, some teaching and sharing. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, we were fortunate that um, we got in contact with a really good builder um, early who was a young guy named Taylor Guy. And uh, I, we've worked with him since and he's, I think he does great work and he's very motivated and um, he works with a company that's just called EcoSmart Development. So they were our builder, uh, at least for the first stage. So they kind of took us up to lock up and then I kind of took it over from there. Um, but they were great and he was, he, you know, he, at that time he was, you know, mid twenties and very motivated to, uh, to learn and, you know, was very much in the green building mindset. So that was the way he, uh, he was motivated to that direction. And so he was really willing to work with us and learn with us too. So that was great. And, uh, he had a, um, another carpenter that worked with him named Curtis and, uh, his company is Longview Construction now. Um, and, but he also does more passive home and eco home building too. So, um, but when we had started with them, they'd only done maybe two or three homes, maybe, maybe two. And they've done many, many more since sort of based on the same standards. So, um, we were fortunate in getting contacted with them and, and they were kind of our, our base that we worked from. And so, um, we were able to find a couple other people through them. Um, but beyond that, it was really <laughs> quite difficult to, uh, to uh, find contractors in, in, you know, the other sub trades that could uh, understand our process and didn't just want to do the conventional way that they usually would. Um, we did get linked up with a good mechanical contractor named, uh, which is Lexus mechanical. And they too were really willing to, uh, learn and uh and work with us and and you know kind of think outside the box so we had uh we did go through several trades that we had to hire and then fire as well because they just were not um maybe not working to the standard that we had wanted or we'd agreed to so that was that was where the frustration really came in was a lot of the sub trades there um mm -hmm. So I, I won't name the ones we didn't use, um, but, uh, uh, you know, it was, it was, I think the most important thing we learned was to kind of meet and talk through what our goals were and kind of, we had a few trades meetings where we all sat down uh, together in the room and, uh, and kind of went through what our expectations were just because it was unique and different. And, uh, and then we could 
really hopefully get on the same page. It didn't work perfectly, but I think it worked a lot better than we just, you know, kind of winged it and seen what happened. So yeah. Yeah. That was my big, that was one of my big things was, you know, let's try to all get on the same page when we, uh, before we actually get into the building process, because it's a lot harder to change on the fly and, and, you know, much easier to um, deal with any problems or questions before they show up on the build site and much less costly that way too. Yeah, for sure. Especially stopping and starting or maybe stopping things and having to go back a step, it all of a sudden adds a lot of a lot of expense. So yeah, I it's interesting you had that similar. So when we first started, you know, with our place, even just thinking about the idea of um, building a home, uh, we had kind of searched around and we didn't know at that time if we were going to do the whole build ourselves, or if we were going to have part of it contracted out. And I remember just having initial conversations, even with, with some contractors or builders or framers who you would say, you know, we're going to, we're really interested in doing this double wall construction and all this kind of stuff. And, and it was oftentimes you could tell right off the bat that they were not interested because they'd make comments like, oh, you know, there's no, there's no use in doing that. Like, it's just a waste of money. It doesn't actually add any value. And, you know, and then as soon as comments like that were made, we were like, okay, well, this is not, you know, this is definitely not uh, someone we want to work with on this process, because if they're already sort of telling us that we're making the wrong decision, um, yeah, we, we, you know, made some of those decisions pretty quick in terms of some of their responses around the openness to, to do some of these things. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a good red flag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. Straight up telling you you're doing it wrong. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> move along. Um, so yeah, it was interesting, but, um, and so I know, can't you talk about this on your, uh, you have one extremely, um, detailed, a blog post where you talked about um, your solar and, you know, the heating and, and how it all works, but just, just for our listeners, many of whom have no real idea. And, and I find myself explaining this a lot too, and I'm sure you do too, but um, you know, how do those things interact in terms of cost when you think about, um, you know, what does that look like? What what are some of the principles in terms of your solar and then passive solar he- heating? And I think you guys have a wood stove as well. So how do all of those things interact um, in terms of the mechanics of, of your home? Yeah, I always forget that people don't, you know, this isn't common knowledge <laughs> still. Um, so I, I, do, I do have to explain it. And to me, it's like so natural now that I don't really even think about it, but I'll, I'll do my best to explain it. So, um, I mean, the, the big uh, principle is, is passive, right? So your goal is to utilize as many non-mechanical features in a house as possible because mechanical things break down and need to be replaced and uh, don't last generally. Whereas um, things such as facing your house to the south and getting maximum light exposure and solar exposure, insulating your walls and um, making your house as airtight as possible. Those things don't break down. They don't fade over time and they'll last. So it's kind of the big principles. Um, 
So for us, we tried to maximize that as much as possible. And ultimately the goal for a full passive house is to, you know, basically, I mean, an ideal where there'll be no mechanical, but that's essentially impossible. Um, so, you know, the, the big principle was let's face our house south and get um, as much southern exposure as possible because that's where the sun shines in the northern hemisphere <laughs> so uh, uh i mean this seems like simple stuff but it's you know it's like you have to point it out sometimes right so um mm-hmm. you know being on an acreage we have that ability really easily whereas being in the city you know selecting a lot that has south facing is is really critical rather than an east west facing um and then you want to limit the windows particularly on the northern side because there's no gain there there's there's complete loss because the sun doesn't shine on the north side in the southern or in the northern hemisphere so um i mean you, there's a balance of course right but we do have some windows on the northern side but there we only have two um so then east west windows again you want to limit them but you know, it is nice to have light coming in on those sides, which we certainly do as well, but they're not as much as our southern side. Uh, now, that, of course, is limited because um, in the summertime, if you don't have any shading on the south side, you'll cook yourself like a greenhouse. So um, when we were sort of studying our house, we um, we did some solar studies, which you can do with some computer programs to see you know, what the southern light is you know, at the peak of summer and January or June 21st and, uh, and make sure that your house is shaded. So we have four foot overhangs on the south side of our house. So it is completely shaded in the, uh, in the summertime. Um, and however, that is also sufficient for the winter when the sun is lower in the sky to allow sunshine to come in and, the sun will passively heat the house as well. Uh, the only trouble is that on the, what they call the shoulder months, which are fall and spring, that it's kind of in between. So you can sometimes get a little bit of overheating that could happen in that time. Um, usually we haven't really found that's a big issue, but that was one thing that we were told. Um, but for ourselves, it hasn't really been a problem that I've noticed. So I don't know about you, but um, so that's kind of the, First thing was face your house in the right direction. And then the second was insulate it. So that's probably the, the easiest thing to do and most cost effective. So for our house, we did a pretty extensive um, insulation process. Most people only insulate the walls. And I think building standards only require two by six construction now. And it might require two inches of insulation, but I can't remember what the actual standard is anymore because we're so far past that, but we did 16 inch thick walls and we did a double stud wall system. And so we have two, two by four walls with eight inches in between, which is filled with insulation. So um, rather than a standard house being about R19 walls, ours are R56 and uh, our attic has 27 inches of insulation, which is R80. And uh, I think the, the minimum standard is somewhere around 30 uh, these days. And then most people don't often insulate their basement 
or under their slab of their basement. And we did both with eight inches of insulation. So that's R32 and that's under the slab as well. So you're basically, I mean, the way it was explained to me, which I think makes a lot of sense is it's like, do you want your coffee in a coffee cup uh, outside with, you know, just a normal coffee cup or do you want it in a thermos, right? And so a thermos obviously is going to be insulated and will retain the heat much longer than just your coffee cup with the lid off, right? Mm -hmm. So um, that way the heat or cold, whichever you're after, will hopefully be retained in your house. And then the arguably the other, and, and some people say it's even more important than the insulation, is making your house airtight or as airtight as possible. And um, so uh, normally, again, this isn't a focus of homes. Um, most houses are pretty drafty and especially around windows and doors, they don't seal very well. And uh, um, I mean, our old, we had an old hundred year old house and it was just, oh, terrible. <laughs> you could feel the wind blowing in, right? So and see the the steam escaping from the house. So um, with air tightness, you're trying to get it as as tight as possible too. So it's the same thing as a thermos. You want a tight fitting lid and you don't want the air to be leaking out. Otherwise it'll cool really quickly. Um, and even with a thermos, if you take the lid off, it's going to cool quickly. Mm -hmm. So um, normal homes, and I, I, I mean, this was a few years ago that I remember looking into this, but around maybe two or three air changes per hour. And, and that doesn't really matter what that means. It's more the relative um, nature of it, where a passive house uh, standard is you have to be 0.6. So, you know, a fifth uh, yeah, of what a normal house build would be. Mm -hmm. So um, you can get really extreme with that now. And that's where the tapes and, you know, the various ways to seal up your house can, um, get it a lot lower than 0.6. Um, but we were shooting for 0.6 and we hit 0.58 on our house. So I was pretty happy about that. Um, and some people say, well, it does make it stuffy in there. And, and that's where you, I mean, you have to put an HRV in so that you have circulate natural uh, air throughout because you could get stuffy. Um, but it does also change some things where you can't do some things like you would in a standard house, like, um, an exhaust fan in your bathroom or an exhaust fan in your kitchen because those can let out way too much air. Um, mm -hmm. So we don't have either of those in our place and we don't have a condensing or we have a condensing dryer. We don't have a dryer with an exhaust on it. So those are just some of the kind of basic principles, right? Because then after all that, the mechanical things you have to use um, are very minimal it could be considerably less than what you need to for a standard house. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's interesting. I, I was actually in a conversation today where we were talking about, about this and, and for a moment, I similarly forgot that, um, you know, that this, this isn't normal. And the question was, somebody asked me, um, Oh, I really like your windowsills. Like there's, you just have so much windowsill. Um, like, how did you get such thick? Like, you know what I mean? They just, they, there was no understanding of why my walls were so thick. So um, yeah, it's a right. common, a common question. So um, yeah, that's very cool. And I think, 
you know, thinking about what you were saying around, um, you know, where you make that effort and, and where you don't, there's a lot of this, um, you know, a lot of it is, is obviously it's for the energy savings too, but, you know, we found in our build, um, a lot of it is really aesthetically pleasing as well. And it's something like, it looks good. Um, it's really functional. You can build things that are really functional into those spaces. So, um, it doesn't have to be, um, you know, it, it doesn't have to look bad just because it's super, you know, super sustainable or super insulated. And I think, um, I feel your guys' house is, is testament to that. It, it's, it's beautiful and everything is, um, you know, everything is super sustainable, but also it looks amazing. So I think that's kind of a common misconception that people have too, is that a super sustainable home is, is maybe not that aesthetically pleasing or has to look very different from a, from a standard home. So yeah, that's, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and that was our, when we were going through our process, that was sort of the way it was though. Like when I look at homes, I'm like, God, these are ugly. Like they look terrible. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, I, my, my mom is an interior designer. So I grew up around design and, and was always really interested in that. So, um, you know, I wanted a house that was not only, comfortable to live in and cost effective but I also wanted to just live in a really beautiful space so um you know we we definitely had that as the motive too to make it you know not look like a traditional whatever the traditional sort of eco house was which were generally I thought pretty pretty ugly looking so um you know yeah we definitely had that as a strong focus as much as the eco house building was to make a really beautiful space. So, you know, we have all our windowsills at seating height, right? So, I mean, you have natural seating all around there as well. And window seats are always, I thought, pretty cool. So, um, you know, those people gravitate to those and we have little nooks for our kids that they can sit in and play. And um, so, yeah, I mean, there's lots of fun ways to do it. And I think now there's much more resources and evidence that you can build uh, a house that's sustainable and attractive too. So, yeah, for sure. And I was going to say, even um, you know, even eco smart developments. I follow them, uh, their social media ca- accounts as well, and it's really neat. I think they're you know they're continuing to do a really good job of showing that hey, you can build a really sustainable home, which is also very in comparison, um, very inexpensive to live in. Um, but Mm -hmm. it also looks really beautiful. So, uh, you know, they're kind of changing the narrative around, it has to be a clay packed straw bale house, which is, there's nothing wrong with, and that's really cool. (laughs) But, but if that's not your thing, you can also build a sustainable house that looks really nice too. Yeah. It's not for the masses for uh, the straw house usually, although we did tour some of those. Um, the other thing I was going to say too, which maybe would be useful is just, you know, like I was saying, we want it to be cost effective as well in the build, not only the cost effectiveness on the long term, but, um, you know, I think we figured it out that we were somewhere around five to 7% above what a standard house build would be. Right. So, I mean, that's, that's really minimal to me because within, you know, five years you've paid that off in your cost savings. So, it was, it was really marginally different. You know, if you're thinking you're going to build a house, which is $250 a square foot, which I think is pretty, pretty average for your standard house, that's your run of the mill. 
I mean, you might be looking at 275, right? So I always found it's like really good to put some solid numbers to that because that was sort of what we were shooting for too, is let's do all that stuff and make it, you know, so that we're not spending $400 a square foot, right? Because that just is ridiculous. And But it, that is where some of the, you know, fully passive hoses can be in that range, right? Yeah. 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 And I think that's exactly what we had aimed for too, is that, you know, we felt like we could build and live in a, as close to passive as possible home. Um, and, and not pay double the price because that's often something people will say to us was, Oh yeah, this is great. And it's great that you, you know, your, your power bills are really low. Um, but you probably spent double on your house and we didn't. Um, and I know from, from reading your blog where you did such an excellent job of explaining that you didn't spend double either. Um, you know, five to 7% is, is the number. So it's nice that there's kind of more of this information getting out there that, um, you know, it's, it's cause if it is something that's going to be double all of a sudden living in a passive home or living in a sustainable home or, you know, a low cost, comfortable, healthy home becomes something that's, not accessible for everyone. And so it's, I think it's mm. important to kind of have those conversations and, and share with people, which is, is what you guys did, but share with people that actually that's not true. It doesn't have to cost you twice, um, twice the price to build. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, exactly. yeah I'm, I'm curious, Kent, I, I saw you post, uh, I think it was on your Instagram. This was maybe uh, a couple of weeks ago, but, um, you know, sharing about how it was a you know, really cold day as it has been. And we have the same experience in our house. Um, but it was a super cold day and, you know, you didn't even really have to be running. Like you didn't need your wood stove. In fact, the wood stove sometimes when it's really sunny makes it a bit like a sauna in the house. So, um, yeah, I, I'm curious if you can share, uh, just as kind of a way to, to end it off a little bit for our for our listeners, you know, what, what is it like to, to live in that space? And, um, you know, what does that, what, how does that look and feel different than say a standard home? Yeah, well, I mean, it's just way more comfortable, really. Um, you know, I, uh, went out there on, uh, Friday. Yeah. Friday or Saturday. And it was, minus 43 outside and you know we had been gone all day and we keep the heat low um because the sun often if the sun's out it's going to heat the house up and it was you know 22 degrees in the house right and that was just through passive heating and uh so i mean it, it just kind of naturally heats itself which is really cool because i mean in a house you know if your average older home you know your furnace is running every 15 minutes and it's noisy and um you know there it's just really comfortable and and i don't really even think about it too much anymore like i said it's just become the way it is so you know we'll often just um, keep the heat low or mostly off and um uh, in the morning i get up and make a a fire in the wood stove because we just like that um, but, you know, other friends of ours who have acreages and, you know, use wood heat as their primary source and have a standard older home, I mean, they're constantly feeding the fire and they have to sometimes get up in the night and stoke it, right? 
And so we usually put a, you know, one or two logs on the fire and that's enough to heat the house up. And, uh, and then, you know, usually by the time the sun's up, if it's a sunny day, it'll just continue that for us. So, I mean, we comfortably stay in the house and some days like the one, I think that you're referencing, it was minus 40 out. It was a really sunny day. And, you know, I think we were at 25 degrees in the house. And I said, geez, this is getting hot. So we <laughs> have to open a window sometimes. Right. So, which seems crazy. Um, but you know, it just, it retains the heat and, and comfort, but it doesn't, it doesn't lose it, uh, as well until you have to sometimes open a window and just cool it off a little bit, but it's not uncomfortable to do. It's not drafty. That's your only, only window that you might have to open. So, um, I don't know. I mean, I think for us, it's just, it's comfort and it's easy. I don't have to worry about it. Anything really breaking down, it just kind of runs itself. So it's, it's worked out as good as we had hoped it would really. So I, uh, I'm, I'm really pleased that we did what we did in the end. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I grew up with wood heat, um, in an old, an older home. Um, and so, you know, I remember I loved it. I loved having wood heat. I loved waking up to the, the, the sound of the fire crackling in the morning. And of course it was my dad who always got up early to, to start the fire, kept it going. But, um, I have this kind of running competition because now my brothers both have wood stoves in their homes as well. And we kind of have this running competition over group text because they just can't believe that our furnace doesn't run and we don't burn any wood because my parents are, you know, if they want to not have their furnace running, they have to be constantly, as you said, constantly feeding the fire. Um, and if they want to wake up cozy in the morning, they have to get up in the night and put wood on the fire. And we don't even worry about it. And for the most part, I have to say to Matt, sometimes it'll be a Saturday morning, you know, and you're drinking your coffee and you love having the wood stove on. And then I can see the sun coming up and I look at him and I'm like, okay, that's the last that's the last log on the fire. Don't put another one on, but he does. Cause it's Saturday yeah. and we're having coffee <laughs> and then the sun comes out and you're like, oops, we really shouldn't have put that last log on the fire. Too warm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, too I, warm. yeah. Well, the, uh, I mean, we have friends of ours that they exclusively heat their home with wood heat and he goes through 16 cords of wood a winter. Um, and we usually buy one, um, and that lasts us more than enough through the winter. Um, and so, you know, we probably go through it maybe three quarters or even maybe a half, right? So it's not even close. It's crazy. Yeah. And that's what we find in this little friendly family competition. Like I, we, we cut our own wood here and, you know, my dad spends a lot of his fall after harvest spends a lot of his fall out cutting wood and he needs to get so many weekends worth of wood cutting in to have enough wood to heat the house for the winter. And Matt and I can kind of go out for a Saturday and maybe half a Sunday and we have enough wood for the winter. So it's, uh, yeah, it's quite, quite different. So yeah. Um, you're not popular with them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Kent, just as a way to leave us off, um, I, I'm definitely going to direct, continue to kind of direct folks to your blog because I think you've, you've done such a great job of pulling together um, some really useful information. Um, 
But, you know, for, for folks, if you met someone on the street or, or someone who was chatting with you, um, you know, was going down this, this road and was interested in, in building a more sustainable home, um, would you have any like snippets of advice or, or something you would uh, leave them with uh, as they get started? Well, I mean, there's so many reasons to me, um, but I mean, I think like this is the future of building, right? Like, I think we're just a bit ahead of the curve and I think it's only a matter of time until this does become more the norm. And I mean, even in the last five years, the number of people and the number of houses that have been built in this city alone and around it that have, um, that have gone this direction is, is way more than was available, you know, than was there five or six years ago. So, um, I mean, I, I just, I mean, anybody now, and we've had a few friends that have built, I just say, just do it a little better, right? Like it doesn't take that much effort. It doesn't take that much more money and you'll appreciate it on the long term, especially if you intend to stay in your house for more than a you know, few years. So, I mean, it, to me, it's just really a, a no brainer. If you're going to spend the time and money to build a house and all the frustration that goes along with that process, it's, you know, you're going to appreciate to do it in the long run. So, um, and now, like I said, there's so many resources out there and there's far more knowledge and a lot of builders that are dedicated to green buildings. So it's much easier to find good resources now. So, yeah, absolutely. No, I would, yeah, I would agree. So that's awesome. Thank you so much, Kent, for taking the time to, to chat with me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks a lot. It's fun. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Sustainable Stories podcast. This podcast is hosted by myself, Jenna Inglot, as well as Roxanne Wagner from Sage Sustainable Solutions Consulting. For a full list of episodes, as well as more information about Sage, check us out online at sagesustainable.com. And as always, we welcome your feedback, thoughts, and suggestions. Catch you next time.